Okay. Welcome to the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your co-host, Morgan Wack, and I'm here with your co-host, the one, the only, the expeditious, Eddie Matthews. How you doing, Eddie? Oh my god, am I in the Netherlands at Zandvoort <laughs> right now? I don't know. I've got some flares out, so you might be. I'm ready yeah. to throw them on the track. So this is so going to get real. Today was the uh, Dutch Grand Prix. Um, we're a little over midway through the season, so thought we'd give you listeners a little check-in. And... Uh, in our, our America's newest favorite sport, I think it's fair to say. There's been there's been uh, quite a surge in fan interest ever since Liberty Media, an American company, bought Formula One, and um, and finally put it right. You know, dude, I think uh, don't sleep on pickleball. They're gonna the pickleball yeah, fanatics are gonna come for you. That's true. That's true, but no one's like tuning in. Millions of people around the world aren't tuning in to see pickleball. Well, did we swim in different circles? Let me tell you, my friend. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, yeah. So basically, uh, where we're at right now at this moment in time, September fourth, Max Verstappen is leading very handily. Um, there's I guess it's mathematically possible for Leclerc to catch him, but it's not practically possible. Um, he's leading with 310 points to, and with Leclerc for Ferrari being a distant second at 201 points. Max has already won 10 races at 12 podiums. Podium is when you finish in the top three. Um, to Leclerc's three wins and six podiums. So yeah, the season has really panned out differently than the first few races would have let us believe. Ferrari took such a had such a strong opening three races and looked like they were going to put Red Bull in the dust. But um, then they reminded the world that they're Ferrari and they don't know how to strategize a race. So, you know, here we have this result, 13 races through. What do you make of the season so far? Yeah, I think it started off with uh, the hope that we'd have. I think we got spoiled a bit from last season where it came down to the last race, which is obviously not something. The last you can, lap of the last race. Yeah, not something you can expect from every season. Um, and I think the mid table battles haven't been as compelling as they have in the last few years. But we've seen some amazing racing and some amazing individual races for sure. And I think the catastrophes the kind of collapse that we've seen from ferrari has also been entertaining if not as competitive as we would have hoped um but yeah i mean it's still been very fun and enjoyable and i've i've uh, enjoyed every i think i've seen most of the races so i've enjoyed most of the races that i've seen um and yeah i think that the regulations that they put in place have made it at least uh, more watchable on on most days yeah it's interesting because on the one hand this season is a lot less competitive than last season in terms of, you know, Red Bulls really just mopped the floor with everybody else this year. Whereas like you mentioned, Mercedes and Red Bull were neck and neck until the very last lap of the very final race, which is very typical. Um, so on the one hand, it's a lot less competitive, but on the other hand, like you mentioned, these new regulations are making it easier to overtake. And so 
the races I think are more exciting, um, you know, from position two to position 20, um, which has been really just uh, invigorating to see the mid, the midfield pack, you know, you never know who's going to come out on top because uh, there's a lot less room between the midfield teams than there is uh, between, you know, the top two teams. And so that's been refreshing. Yeah, no, that's very true. I think uh, the, and the individual like racing, there's a lot more passing, at least actually don't know if that's true, but it definitely seems that way where there's a lot more kind of aggressive track moves because of the new regulations and things, which is pretty much what they hope for. So I think that has all worked pretty well. Yeah. Um, so just to get, we'll give you the top 10 uh, driver standings right now. Um, the standings are divided into two categories, drivers and constructors. So the constructors just being the teams. Um, so right now, you know, Red Bull's on top with 511 points between their two drivers, Sergio Perez and Max Verstappen. Um, and Ferrari is, again, a distant second at 376 points. Mercedes will probably catch them. 346 points, just 30 down. And then Alpine is a really distant fourth to Mercedes at 125, McLaren 101. Um, so the drivers for Schappen, like I mentioned, 310. Leclerc, Leclerc and Perez um, are tied right now. Leclerc drives for Ferrari. Perez is uh, Max Verstappen's teammate at Red Bull. They're both even at 201 points. George Russell for Mercedes is 188. Carlos Sainz, uh, the second Ferrari driver, is 175. Lewis Hamilton, um, seven-time world champion, arguably still the best driver on the grid, uh, is 158. As I say that, I feel like, you know, we can argue maybe Verstappen's the uh, Clifton. But um, Lennon Norris, 82. Esteban Ocon for Alpine, 66. Fernando Alonso for Alpine, 59. Valtteri Bottas for Romeo, 46. So... Yeah, it's um interesting top 10 in terms of, you know, Mercedes. It's still weird to see Lewis Hamilton at number six because we're used to, if anyone's paid attention to um, Formula One in the last eight years, they're used to seeing Hamilton either, you know, take a win or take a podium every single race. Um, so he's yet to win this year. Mercedes has really kind of botched their uh, car in the new regulation era. So they're still trying to figure it out. Um, there's they're still kind of scrapping for a win. Hamilton looked like he might have had it today, but then dropped back to fourth because um, of some t- tire shenanigans. So, yeah, it's interesting to see, you know, such a formidable world champion hanging out at number six. You know, it's like LeBron not making the playoffs. It's underrated how good Red Bull's strategy is. Like, they're pick- they just, they're so solid across everything that even to win a single race, the other teams have to pretty much be perfect. And it just hasn't happened. Like today, I think for Mercedes definitely had their best chance at a win, maybe of the season. Um, and they just kind of, you know, things, uncertainty came into the race. And Red Bull is just always so quick to take advantage of those sorts of things. And they already have, you know, backup plans to their backup plans. And then they execute so well that it just seems like they are this Colossus that's essentially unbeatable. And you start to get that aura of invincibility around Max. And it's less fun to watch because it seems like an inevitability at times, but it is, you know, you have to respect it. It is pretty impressive all the way down. Yeah. 
totally. Um, it's just dominance on every level, like you're saying, in terms of uh, Max as a driver uh, just doesn't make mistakes. And he knows how to look after his tires and he knows how to attack and he knows how to lead and he knows how to chase. He's like, but also they've built a car that really accentuates his strengths in a way that, so the car that you start with at the beginning of the season is not the same as a car you end with. Um, each team develops their car, you know, changes out different parts and upgrades it throughout the season. And so at Red Bull, Max Verstappen is the clear number one driver. And so they develop the car in a way that really plays to his strengths um, in a way that doesn't necessarily play to Sergio Perez's strengths, his teammate, uh, you could argue. And so I feel like that's another thing that distinguishes Red Bull is that they're building a car going all in on one driver in a way that the other teams, you know, might not basically connect the dots as uh, concretely between a certain driver's strengths and, and going all in building a car to accentuate that strength. There, I feel like there's more parity between the two drivers, which makes it, you know, for a more healthy uh, relationship between the teammates and between the team and the drivers, but maybe doesn't, uh, doesn't get every last, you know, ounce of uh, talent out of a single driver. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it, it makes sense. And I think that's one of the reasons that they like to keep Checo in that second seat is because even though there was some, I think, wishful thinking that he might be able to to push Max a bit, the fact that he's just so off the pace compared to Max, even in the same car, is actually nice for for our, for um, Red Bull because they don't really have to worry about any competition between drivers and they can kind of just prioritize Max every time. Um, but that's all it's a strategy. Just like I said, they're just – they're on top of it over there, the the sports drink sports drink industry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. And their nearest competitors, Ferrari, like built a really fast car, but every single race they make some strategy blunder that is just like unfathomable, given how big you know they've got a team of what like thirty data people all crunching numbers to optimize, you know, the decisions that they make as far as when to pit and which tires to uh, switch on to and um, when to chase and when to hold back, when to look at, like they have all of the resources and manageable, all of the money. And yet they continue to make these like rookie mistakes every single race. And it's really mind blowing to watch, you know? I think it's, so I, I might zig a little bit here. Obviously the internet, just been taking the piss out of Ferrari for weeks and it's very fun to do because they it, it's a very kind of visceral blunders where they'll be towards the top and they'll be on all the screens and then they'll do something just seems out of left field every time where you're just like I didn't even know that was a way that you could mess up a race like what were they even thinking yeah an example today time? an example today when they pitted uh, Carlos Sainz usually a pit stop takes about two and a half seconds if it's like a good a good pit stop and this pit stop took 10 seconds because they didn't have the rear wheel ready to put on the car. So they were just waiting for it to come out of the garage and they have three wheels on and they just, they just didn't have it ready for who knows what reason, you know? And so that and, took 10 yeah. seconds and that dropped him back and ruined his race. 
And they're the same every time, these pit stops. It's not like they're like, oh, you need four wheels this time. You need, no, you always need four <laughs> wheels. It's not. It's always four wheels. Guys. It's always four yeah. wheels. So, yeah, it's bizarre. And I think the reason why Ferrari in particular stands out and is so much fun to kind of like, uh, I don't know what the word would be, not hate watch, but like kind of clown watch in a way is because their car is so fast. It's the juxtaposition of them being, having done such a good job creating like an incredibly fast car and then just being so bad at everything else that makes it fun. Like Haas today was just making, and same with Alfa Tari and a couple of these other teams are just also, but they're bad at everything. So it's not as fun. You kind of expect that. It's like, yeah, they got a crap car and now their strategy's crap. And now it broke down. Whereas Ferrari, it's like, how could you be this fast or this good at one aspect of the sport and so bad at other seemingly less complicated portions of the sport? Um, yeah. Totally. And, you know, with a team like Haas, their budget is probably a fourth of what Ferrari's is. So there's a little bit more grace, I think, when there's uh, strategy mishaps or, you know, if their car's just not going as fast. And so... Yeah, I think it's like, uh, I don't know, it's like watching the Anaheim Angels when you have Mike Trout and Otani, you know, with these two drivers, and it's like things should be clicking in here, they're like falling back, like what, why are they wasting so much talent, you know? And I do think it's taken some of the heat off of Mercedes, lucky for them, because they have also not been very solid strategically. Today's race was just one example of where they kind of had a chance. And I think that going into the race, their strategy of going with a one-stop was smart and it put them in the right position. But then towards the end there, they just, again, were just out thought and the car is just not as fast as, um, as the Red Bull. But I think that if it wasn't for Ferrari, just every week coming in and just falling flat on their faces, we would be talking a lot more about how much better Red Bull's strategy team has been the Mercedes throughout the year. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I think also with Mercedes, it doesn't seem like they have really prioritized Hamilton in a way that I thought they would have, you know, given that he's a seven-time world champion and like the clear number one driver at that team. Mm-hmm. Like Russell's ahead of him um, in the standings right now by 30 points. Um and I think you could argue it's like, well, Hamilton voluntarily took on all the – he was like the volunteer guinea pig for all the experiments they've done over the season trying to figure out their car. So naturally, you know, Russell had the more reliable car and had more consistent top five finishes than Hamilton because Hamilton was willing to test out all these different arrangements. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's one explanation. But I think, like, if you're – if you don't have as fast of a car – you have to be, yeah, perfect with strategy or like really play the team game where, you know, Russell, every single race, his goal would just be to like hold up the Red Bulls so that Hamilton could get ahead or would be just like mess with people, you know? Yeah. And I think that yeah. they can't really get away with that because um, Russell is a really highly competent driver and probably a future world champion himself. So like his ego. I think would get in the way of him just being Hamilton's lackey, you know? Yeah. And I think they're, they are pivoting a bit towards kind of, especially the way that Russell's driven this year, which has been pretty impressive knowing that he is, you know, more or less the future, even if it is Lewis Hamilton by his side, probably 
the greatest, if not one of the you know top three greatest drivers of all time. Yeah, totally. Uh, an argument could probably be made that Hamilton Hamilton is the greatest ever, but that could be an argument for a different podcast. I don't know enough about Formula One history. I think to to make a strong claim, we might have to have somebody on who uh, who's more of a historian to to compete with us. And he's definitely the the best modern driver. And then, you know, we'll see in six years if Max has the resume to match. But uh, yeah, I mean, comparing. Uh, making an argument or comparing the Hamilton to like Schumacher, uh, Michael Schumacher, you know, uh, also seven time world champion for Ferrari, uh, in like the 90s, early 2000s. Um, making that comparison is probably like making like a LeBron, Michael Jordan comparison, where it's a, it's a little apples and oranges, but it's also fun to talk about, you know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like probably more so than basketball and other things like the, the regulations changed so much and the way that the sport is played and who it's against and things have changed a lot over time. Um, and so it makes it difficult to compare over eras, just like any sport. Uh, but you would think that racing in particular, it would be less likely to kind of experience these massive shifts in like the athleticism or the way that the game is played over time because it's mostly instincts, but I don't know, maybe it's not true. Maybe there are, you know, training methods and things that have gotten so much better from the nineties to today, like there are in other sports where that wouldn't be the case, but it's interesting. I, I don't have a, an answer there, but it would be interesting to see if the differences between, you know, if you put a driver from the eighties in the game in a car today, they had some time to train how well they would do versus a basketball player from the eighties or a football player from the eighties. Um, yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but it is, it has been fascinating to see Hamilton having to like get used to fighting for spots in the midfield in a way mm-hmm. that he hasn't had to do for eight years, you know, yeah. always starting yeah. at the front and always like uh, having a car that could win races. Yeah. So that, I don't know. It kind of speaks to his character too. He's kind of willing to do that and willing to, um, there's not really any sense of entitlement, I think with Hamilton, which is rare to see with somebody who's that level of athlete. Yeah, for sure. No, I think it's, uh, it's been fun to watch for sure. I think, I hope he gets one. I was hoping he would win today, which was, I was kind of disappointed about the race today because I think he was racing very well. And then there was some unfortunate, uh, stoppages along the way but um yeah well i hope he gets one before the end of the season at least yeah so we've got uh seven more races uh let's see it would be round 14 here we go round 16 uh next week we're in italy Singapore after that, um, Japan, U.S., Austin, Texas, nice. Mexico, Brazil, and then Abu Dhabi is the last race, November nice. 18th. It's a long-ass season. <laughs> it is a very long season, and they're only going to keep expanding it over time, so get used yeah, to it. there's so much money to be made um, in adding you know, more races. So next year... There's going to be three U.S. races with uh, Miami, 
uh, towards the start of the schedule and then uh, Austin, Texas, uh, which has been the main kind of like US continent over the years and then a brand new one in Vegas, which would be pretty wild toward the end of the calendar. It should be super fun. I'm definitely looking forward to, to seeing that, that race down the strip. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you, um, do you think there's anything worth taking away from the bottom of the table or the mid-level races? Or I know your boy, Danny Ricardo again, is just collapsing in front yeah, of Yeah, it's eyes. been, it's been really sad to watch. So Dino Ricardo, some of you listeners, uh, if you've watched the Netflix series, Drive to Survive, I feel like he's, the star of that show like he's the one that they build at least one to two episodes around per season um because he's charismatic and he's australian and he smiles all the time he's very friendly um and so i think that he's just kind of good for tv and so Netflix do australians have these like the highest q rating of any like nationality for americans <laughs> That's a really good question. I would say that Australians tend to be the most likable of any nationality. Yeah. I feel like it's partially because we don't really, like nobody in America really knows their politics. So so you can't even get like too contentious. You can't be like, oh, the, the Labour Party's <laughs> okay. refugee policy. Like, I mean, I know a little bit about it, but it's not like the same with the British where you like make fun of Boris and stuff. Yeah. And then they still have fun accents. They've got cool animals. They're pretty far away. So you can kind of, project anything you want they got that opera house i feel like we don't we know just enough where they can kind of get away with whatever they want while also having like quite quite a a good uh, reputation yeah it's an excellent point and they're they're there's just enough saltiness in their kind of like humor and culture yeah that's true we don't treat them we don't treat them like New Zealanders where there's like, Oh, these are like the nicest, most wholesome people in the world, but we don't really want to go party with them kind of thing. You know? I mean, give it up for uh, Australia's, uh, I don't even know, would that be like the, the foreign culture department or something? Whoever's in charge of making Australians look good abroad, they're doing an, an excellent job. They're doing great. Well, also I've just never met an Australian that I didn't like, you know? But there you go. Maybe they only have like a really strict, like uh, like China does, where they only let certain people travel. Maybe they're like they have a bunch of a holes who are they're like, nah, you you know, I don't. <laughs> yeah, you can go up to as long as, Yeah, as long as people don't actually go to the trouble of visiting Australia, then it stays you know top of mind. And top, they probably had a meeting. Yeah, they're like, would are people going to come? And they're like, you know how fucking far away we are. <laughs> <laughs> like we don't have to worry about that <laughs> they just put they put all the assholes in perth so that you know even if you come to australia there's no way you're going to that coast so yeah i think that checks out yeah it checks out um so yeah it's been a bummer to watch ricardo just uh, struggle with mclaren at the at the bottom of the grid there's there's big drama during uh what they call silly season which is basically during the summer break, all of the kind of like backroom deals and uh, agents negotiating with the teams for their, you know, drivers to move up the grid or to extend their contracts, et cetera, um, happens like during this, you know, three to four week uh, summer break that they have each year. And so the big drama um, this summer break was Ricardo, uh, his contract being terminated a year early at McLaren 
and being replaced by the champion of F2, which is um, like one division down, uh, kind of like a feeder system in, in some ways for F1, uh, their uh, farm system, if you will. And yeah. so the champion of the 2021 uh, F2 um, season was a guy named Oscar Piastri. And so he's being replaced, uh, Ricard's being replaced at McLaren with Piastri. The, the kind of salt in the wound is that he is also Australian, you know? So it's just like, it's just got to be gutting to be replaced by a younger driver, a fellow Australian, and for that, like, spotlight. I don't know. So, like, now the Australian Grand Prix, there's kind of two Australians. It's not all just on Ricardo. It doesn't feel like just his race, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's a, It was um, bizarre. I mean, it's hard to follow along because the contracts are so specific and they're mostly, like, private. And so I think we yeah. still don't know 100% what is going on uh although it does seem like alpine pretty much messed up um in thinking that they had a driver like a handshake deal basically um but we'll see we'll wait and see yeah so there's um so that's something that's still in the mix ricardo looking for a seat for next year there's an open seat at alpine because fernando alonso Kind of in a shocking move, left Alpine for Aston Martin uh, for next year. So Alpine's looking for another driver. Um, they uh, had Ricardo for a couple of years, so there's some history there. Ricardo did well for them in the past, so there's speculation that maybe he goes back to a place that he's done well before. Um, there's an open seat potentially at Haas because Haas is not resigned as of yet. Uh, Mick Schumacher, the son of the great Michael Schumacher. Mm-hmm. So is Schumacher going to be, you know, in the field next year? Remains to be seen. Is someone else going to take a chance on him? Um, Williams, I don't think, has resigned Latifi, and hopefully they don't because Latifi's the worst driver on the grid. Bless his heart. So there's some options for Ricardo, you know. Looks like Haas could be an option. Looks like Williams could be an option. Um, yeah. Alpine would probably be ideal fit for him. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know if Alfa Romeo has resigned Joe yet, so that could be an option. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of potential shuffling that could happen. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's crazy that they still don't really know. Like like you said, it's another advantage for some of the top teams that have guaranteed drivers where they can kind of – like they're already building their cars for next year, if not have complete mock-ups. And if you know who's driving for you, you know what their skills are, you can – put that in place but for other teams that kind of have to pull people off other teams or from the second division um it's a lot harder to build a car that's not only competitive but also well suited to the drivers you're going to have yeah it's it's weird how no one wants to drive for alpine because they're fourth in the constructors uh standings out of 10 they've got a pretty you know, good handle on McLaren at this point. They're 24 points ahead. Um, so Alonso turned down a one-year contract because he wanted uh, apparently a two-year contract with Alpine. So he left the team for Aston Martin, who's ninth out of 10. So he's moving five spots down, you know, to a team that like shows some promise. They had a good race today, but still it's like you would think that 
Alonzo would have just swallowed the one-year contract, proven himself again, and, you know, bought more time, but apparently not. And then Piastri also turned down Alpine to go to McLaren, who's, you know, lower on the grid. So it's, I think there's some speculation of, like, is that, a, what's going on there? <laughs> like, they have a fast but, car. Why is McLaren also seems to have good PR because they just seem to consistently underperform. Except yeah, for Lando, totally. who's been pretty good. But even Lando has been good when people talk about it. Like, it's in despite the fact that their car is not very good, not because of it. Um, yeah. So it's it's interesting that McLaren is seen as, like, such an attractive – I mean, I like McLaren. I like Zach Brown, and I think that they have talent. But their car is just genuinely not great right now. And so maybe it's because of the amount of money that they have compared to some of the other teams that they there's kind of projection that they're going to get better. But still, it's a it's a risk for sure. Totally, yeah. Um, I'd be curious to see like what McLaren's budget is compared with Alpine too. I imagine it's significantly more. But that would also be my guess. But I, like you said, have no idea. Um, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. It's it's a it's a great sport. It's a great time to get in. You know, <laughs> um, great memes. Uh, so there's some great memes. memes from Reddit. Solid but, memes. Solid, yeah. solid Formula One memes all around. Uh, if anybody who listens to this would also like me to send them some some quality Formula One memes, let me know because I'll I'll pass them along. But uh, some good stuff out there. I think the online community is exactly what you need if you're. I think there's different types of online communities versus like general population communities for different sports. Like baseball, I think there are a lot of people who watch baseball, but there's not because it's so regional. There isn't necessarily the same sort of like vibrant online community. Whereas totally. for certain sports like soccer, and there's like such distinct communities online that have such a distinct personality. I think that can be kind of another way of enjoying the the sport, especially for sports like Formula One, where the races are actually pretty infrequent. I mean, there's a lot of races given what it takes to race but if you take it in terms of how many races there are versus like soccer games per year or even football games there's just like less content of the actual sport so you kind of have to have that it's just more important to the to formula one than it would be to something like baseball uh, where you just have like actual games or content to spread um, and so I think that works to their advantage, but that means that it's, it's very vibrant. And so it's, it's worth getting into if you, if you like Formula One. Totally. And I think that uh, another reason why the online community is strong could be just because it's such a niche sport that we all have to like find each other, you know, in places all across the country or across the world to have people to talk about it with rather than, you know, if you live in a big city and you have a home baseball team, chances are your coworkers and your friends, you know, know something about them or, or if they follow a sport, it's going to be that team, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so yeah, it's great stuff. And the Netflix series drives five is, I don't know. I just feel like it's for everybody. It's like, so obviously it's subjective cause I'm into it, but it just seems so entertaining on every level that you could not care about racing at all. Like I didn't a few years ago and just really love that series. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the reason every other sport is trying to copy that exact model is because it works. I think more, I don't think there was a single person who was involved in that show who thought it would be as big as it is, at least for the sport of formula one, but uh, it's yeah. been a pretty much a 
smashing success. So, yeah, we'll keep watching. Maybe we'll have a follow-up episode towards the end of the season if something crazy happens. Uh, if Eddie gets hired to, to drive for Alpine because they can't find anybody else. Um, <laughs> but we'll, we'll see Don't tempt me. <laughs> I'm sure they've got your, uh, your publicist on, on the phone right now waiting to, to see if you're interested. But I think you should, if you take my advice, I think hold out for, for uh, a McLaren or uh, even maybe a, the second uh, Aston Martin seat. We'll see. So so you think I shouldn't go for Alpine? Nah, I think you're better than that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good stuff. Good stuff. Well, I um, hope you've enjoyed this mid-season check-in. Um, hit us up like Morgan said, with um, all your funny F1 memes. My favorite was, you sent me one of, um, it said, uh, people say that Daniel Ricardo is washed, but this sign says otherwise. And it's just a guy holding a sign that with the word otherwise on it. <laughs> and that really got me. <laughs> uh that's Sorry, Daniel. yeah, Daniel. He's been taking uh, taking some plaque online, and uh, you can't say it's not wanted. He's been in the. He has like hasn't made it out of Q one in the last couple of races, which is pretty pretty rough with that car. I mean, it's it's not a great McLaren, but it's not shouldn't be around the the horses and the yeah. Wheels. It should yeah. you should be hovering somewhere in the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think he finished P seventeen today. It's not good. Also, it sucks when you're the only driver um, from your country because then the domestic media in your country just is way too hard on you or or way too praiseworthy of you, depending on, you know, where you fall on it. It's like there's way too much attention on just one driver if you're the only driver from that country and like, the media from that place, you know? Yeah, especially, yeah, especially if they're pretty like they have an actual Formula One race and are pretty interested in Formula One. I think that's how it would be if there was a, a U.S. driver, um, which I hope there is soon because I think that would be fun to see. But uh, it'll be a lot of pressure on whoever that is. Like Pulisic in the Premier League, I feel like he gets more attention than any other sub <laughs> in the Premier League, mainly because he's seen as you know the USA's best player. But uh, yeah. Interesting yeah. times. Well, that's so we, that's, that's what we have to do. That'll be our next sports episode. Will be a uh, World Cup related, like we promised last time. Yeah. Uh, people are waiting on their edge of their seat for that. They are. I bet they're they're just like not going to watch. They're going to boycott until they hear our episode and decide what to do because I know people come to us for moral authority. They're, yeah, so. they're not going to boycott for all the human rights abuses. <laughs> not uh, specifically. In Qatar. Yep. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, thanks for listening, listeners. Adios, and we'll see you uh, in Monaco. <laughs> what? Monaco already passed. I know, but it's the most famous one. I figured we could just go yeah, to yeah, Monaco. Yeah, yeah, That'd yeah. be nice. <laughs> I'd like to go to Monaco. Adios, rational listeners. We'll see you in Monaco. <laughs> That's good.